Hello and welcome to All Change Please, our podcast about leaving a big city behind and starting afresh somewhere new. We are Jane and Jean Ann, journalists and friends who enjoyed our own love affairs in London before settling down with less racy, more reliable locations. Jane to Bexley and Kent and Jean Ann to her hometown of Derry. Each episode, we'll speak to fellow Surrey quitters about why they left, how they took the leap and what their new life's been like. Because with searches for homes outside the capital surging, we know it's something a lot of you are considering too. So this week's guest is the brilliant Charmaine Lovegrove, who's joining us from Berlin. Charmaine heads up Dialogue Books. It's an imprint of the publisher Little Brown, and it's committed to printing more diverse stories and voices. Charmaine was born in South London and really experienced the highs and lows of the city from a young age. As a teenager, she found herself homeless and on the streets. She then sold secondhand books under Waterloo Bridge. But against the odds, she's managed to carve out a career in publishing. She moved to Berlin and set up the first English language bookshop and after a stint back in the UK in Bristol, she recently returned to Germany with her husband and son. In fact, she's celebrating today in her apartment with a glass of wine in her hand after selling her home in Bristol. So this is your second time living in Berlin, Charmaine, is that right? Yeah, it is. It we're, is. So, we're so glad to have you on because we know you've been incredibly busy uh, moving back there and how's it going so far? Yeah, it's really interesting because... Um, the the idea of home um, is something that's really pertinent to me because I left home when I was 16. Um, I left my family in South London. I'm from Battersea. And I think I've always been looking for a home. I've been married for 10 years. And I realised when we were living in Bristol that, you know, we lived in the same apartment in Berlin for seven years and then when we moved to um when we moved back to England we moved four times and we sort of became known as people that moved around a lot and I was like how did that happen um and so in moving back to Berlin um we're all just a lot more settled and every day my friends text me and they're like your Instagram you look so happy like I and I was like did I not look happy before and they're just like no it, something different's happened um and it's really you know I can see that with my son at school he has lots of friends he's only ever had one friend at all the schools he's been to and now he has lots of friends and been invited to birthday parties and he and himself seems sort of very centered um and he believes that he is back home where he was born and this is where he's supposed to be and for me all of that sort of it's a lot to kind of to to take in yeah. actually I know it's a big because you do worry about children don't you when you move <laughs> move house and what it's a bit of a dream of mine to sort of pack up and move abroad in many many times um and haven't done it yet because I always get a bit put off by the practicalities of it all. It seems such a bigger move than moving in this country. But is it that different? Is there more things to negotiate? No, I actually have found it. I mean, the idea that today we would complete and then we would be moving into somewhere new, you know, had we had um, bought, had an onward sale, and then we'd be getting the keys and then we would literally have to start all over again that just makes me feel really exhausted. And instead I get to sit and talk to you and have a glass of wine, which is really, <laughs> really nice. And um, rather than, and you know, I know that our, so our stuff is booked to be picked up from the storage on tomorrow and then it will arrive on Friday. And then we can just really slowly unpack. That's gonna be a really big thing to have our stuff. But in terms of the kind of logistics, um, I think, 
I think one of the things in England that's really clear to me is is that you really need to live close to the things that you need in your life. I, one of the reasons that I didn't like living in Bristol was because um, I'd never lived in a city without an integrated transport system. And I know that sounds like like not a big deal but for me it was like a it 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 really changed how I don't drive I'm one of those Londoners that never learned how to drive because I could always get on the bus or a tube or whatever and train I'm from South London so and but moving to a city where there wasn't an integrated transport system really meant that I didn't have access to a lot of things I didn't have access to people um, I couldn't get anywhere quickly and I just actually found it quite overwhelming to kind of live somewhere that that sort of promised this access and then didn't deliver on it um, and now that I'm back in Berlin I found like the logistics of things feel of everything feels a lot easier um, because you don't have to be like I need to just be in this one place and then everything is really close to me I can it's fine that my son's school is 15 minutes away it's fine that my friends live an hour away it's it, it, because everything works um, so it doesn't feel as onerous um and things don't cost as much i think also in the uk like everything i mean houses i mean property just costs a phenomenal amount of money you know it's just like i think we sort of underestimate it some in some ways because we're used to it um and i think when you have a mortgage the i you know you're thinking about thousands like tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds over 25 30 years and that that in itself feels very stressful to change that I think so yeah. yeah but it's it's not only that it's also things like I wanted to go and see a gynecologist and so I just made an appointment and I just looked someone up and there happened to be one on the next road and that had a really amazing reviews and I went and I just I don't have insurance traveling um I don't have health insurance yet I'm just getting everything set up because we've only been here we haven't been here that long and um I was able just to pay for what I needed and it was like 40 euros you know it was just it was just really interesting and then I talked to a friend and she was like oh when I had that done privately in England it was like 250 euros and I was like I'm sorry 250 pounds and I was like that's that's so crazy but I also wouldn't think about going to see a gynecologist in England like I wouldn't I didn't know how to start doing that but because I moved to, to Germany when I was 27 then those things became really normal to me so how I looked after myself as a woman became really normal and I and then when I got back to the UK I was like I'm sort of missing having this person that I go and see two to three times a year and just I'm like am I okay how's my body how am I aging what's going on and they would just tell you and for me it was also those are the bigger things that I I sort of I really missed in terms of um good transport and a gynecologist <laughs> because I was um, I was going to ask you um Charmaine about kind of cultural differences and language barriers and I guess a really interesting um example of that would have been given birth in Berlin um away from home with different language but how was that experience okay, so my husband's from England and he moved to Germany when he was 21 and his German is like absolutely perfect like no one can tell that he's not German I don't really know how he does it um but he that's that's how good his German is so he basically taught me German by just speaking at me in German 
um, when we first met and when we were first dating and we lived together like immediately and then he just spoke at me and that's basically how I learned and also that I wanted food cooked and like you know I just you know I wanted to talk to the waiters and chefs and stuff so I would go and go into kitchens and be like can you do it like this and so I had to learn what I was <laughs> what all the ingredients were to just be really um annoying um because the food wasn't as good here when I first moved as it was in, in London right so I was quite I wasn't picky I just knew what I wanted let's say and um so that's how I learned and so everything was fine going up um, like leading up to the birth and it's so funny because you know I mean the biggest difference between giving birth in Germany and Britain is that you have a scan every month um you see your gynecologist every month and you also see your um hebama, which is um midwife you see her every month as well so you're basically seeing someone every two weeks and you just know so much about your child you get a 4d scan etc etc and this is all covered in your health insurance which is around the same price as what you pay for national insurance every month um which is which also goes to our health service right so it's not that it's more and i think that needs to be considered when we weigh these things up um so anyway when i actually gave birth i got this thing that i would like to call ghetto tourettes which is probably really on PC. <laughs> However, I just kind of turned into this like proper, very broad, like South London shouty person that I've never been. And I just kind of turned into like the kind of teenage girls that I saw in South London when I was growing up. And we, there was this whole thing when I was giving birth where I basically... Uh, from the first contraction to having my son in my hand it was an hour and a half so it was very quick and very wow. painful but I was like where are the drugs but I wasn't just really like where are the drugs I was just like listen if you don't give me the drugs I'm gonna listen I'm gonna lose my mind like everyone's gonna get beaten up in here and I was like I am so sorry and then I'd be like it's too malad advice is niche like I'd be like I don't know why I'm saying this it's too malad. I'm like I'm so sorry and then my husband would be like who are you? And I'm like, listen, don't even <laughs> chat to me. And I just turned into this like South London rude girl. It was so bad. I was so like, cause I was just like, who is this person? <laughs> Whoever this person was, she came out and she was just like, listen, this thing is not going to happen like this. Like you need to give me the, listen, don't touch me. And I'd be like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. And they'd just be like, what's going on with her? And I'm like, I'm so, and then I would like turn back into myself. And Thomas was just like, oh my what happened to you? <laughs> oh my um, God. She was buried so that, deep in with a new. <laughs> it just, whatever, this South London rude girl <laughs> came out. And as I said, it was a bit like having sort of Tourette's or something where you just can't, it's just uncontrollable. But this other person, and she was angry. She was angry. She wanted her drugs. She wanted <laughs> not to be in pain. She didn't want it. She wanted to be comfortable. And I was like, I've never seen her again, by the way. And so that was like a really interesting kind of culture thing, because obviously we're not in South London. You know, I was born in St. George's Hospital. Like we're not in St. George's Hospital. They've never encountered anyone like that. There's this black woman on their bed, basically cussing them in a mixture of like South London and Jamaican. And they're just like... And the odd German phrase. (laughs) odd German phrase. They are just like, can we just get your child out? 
And I'm like, yes, that's what we're here for, not for me just to shout at you. So, so that was really, the rest of it was fine because my German's good enough to, to understand um, what was happening during all of those and the terminology. But during the birth, that was really where I, I just couldn't hold it down, basically. Oh <laughs> I definitely recognise her. I have, I know people like this. I've encountered, I've, you know, I'm a Londoner. So, and I was thinking, wow, they've never seen they would never have seen this because there aren't that many kind of working class South Londoners giving birth in this hospital (laughs) I'm just gonna put it out there and it did start getting me to think about what home meant and are there times where I'm not myself because am I someone different because I'm here like I think when you've moved around a lot then you then it's really sometimes quite hard when I love change, but I don't like sort of the idea of reinventing myself. I want to be entirely purely who I am, wherever I am. And I think it really affected me that this person came from somewhere and that I was like, is that really who I am? And I had to really talk to my husband about it. He was just like, no, it's, it's not, you know, I was just like, but she was so reminiscent of home and will this ever be home was sort of the big question. And I, I think that's en- in the end how we ended up moving back because I, I had that question from the moment I had my child. You know, I'm the only person from my family that sort of left since my grandparents arrived in the Windrush generation. And all my family live in the parts of London that they're from. Um, and they all live really close to each other and always have done. I've got 120 cousins in total of like all generations in in London, you know. And so and my son was the first child of my grandma's family to not be born on an island for something like 12 generations, you know. So I'm firmly rooted in home. And I think one of the reasons that I moved back to England was because I really wanted my son to have a firm rooting in especially a sort of a black British experience because so much of what I do comes from my knowledge of blackness and our history and our culture and my Britishness and I've been very lucky to have the intersection of like sort of middle class London and black Jamaican London sort of interspersed in my life and I really wanted him to have a taste of that as well. But what I realised over time is that that's actually not who he is. You know, he's a different generation to me, obviously, but he's also his father is white. Um, So he has access to all cultures in a way that I didn't necessarily. He has white grandparents who live in the countryside and, you know, he really loves going to spend time with them and um, really understands the countryside and probably would prefer to live in the countryside. And bringing him back to Berlin, you know, he really identifies with it here. And as I said earlier, he's never been so happy. And so now I realise that, like, what I considered home is absolutely not what he considers home. And then for my husband, he's from Sussex. And, you know, he moved to Berlin, as I said, when he, he moved to Germany when he was 21 and he moved all over Germany and he never wanted to move back to the UK. Um, but it was right for us to do that for various reasons, including my career. And but it's really interesting that the day that we moved back here, my son and I um, flew and my husband drove with the dog and the tortoise. Um, and it's important not to forget Hermes, the tortoise. When I saw him walking around the corner, 
I, it was, I just was like, wow, he's, he's got that thing back that he had when we first moved here. And I hadn't realized that he lost it, you know, but when I saw it again, I was like, oh yeah. And every day I see him here, I'm just like, oh my God, you're all so much happier. I know my own roots and identity. So I feel it so keenly that I can't ever take them away from here again is what I've understood. Sharmina, we have a mutual friend, Gabby, um, who very kindly connected us. And she mentioned to me, I think you guys traveled to Jamaica together uh, at one point, And that's, that's where your grandmother is from, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And so you've kind of got roots there as well. And how difficult or easy is it to sort of embrace that side in Berlin? I don't know, like culturally, is there any outlet for that? Yeah, and I... Yeah, that I mean, so all my grandparents are Jamaican, all four of my grandparents are Jamaican. Um, and so that culture is incredibly strong for me. Um, and I didn't actually go to Jamaica until I was in my 30s. And then I went like three or four times a year until last year. Um, and now haven't been this year, obviously. Um, and one of yeah one of the reasons that I really wanted to move back as I said is that I wanted Jackson to have I really wanted him to have that feeling of you know the older Jamaican grandma on the street that tells you about yourself <laughs> you know that comments on like what Love you're wearing that. they definitely tell me about my hair you know if I was younger they would tell me off about my hair and say like I should have it relaxed or anything I think people are a bit more relaxed now about stuff but you know even when we lived in Bristol, one of the reasons that we moved to Bristol was because it's the largest, um, it's like one of the largest populations of specifically Jamaican people outside of London. So it was really important to me that if we move somewhere in the UK, that we had to be part of a, um, of, of a, not just a black culture, but specifically a Jamaican culture. And it's absolutely like non-existent here. I mean, there are about like there's probably about a hundred Jamaican people here and I know all of them. Um, and um, I've been to the embassy and I've been to stuff, but it's just really different. And I felt so sad that my son was going to grow up without this culture that means so much to me. And especially as Jamaican culture is a culture that so much has been taken away from us already because we came to Jamaica as slaves, right, from Africa. So, so we never got to have this sort of heritage of like hundreds of years, of thousands of years of culture. And so with, with being Jamaican, with our history, there's also a sense of kind of rootlessness to it. And so that's where we hold on to other ideas of our culture really strongly, like the music and the food, etc. Um, but because it's such a, such a well-known country and culture, then also it kind of gets lost to us as well because it's something that everybody partakes like everybody loves Jamaica everyone knows something about Jamaica so <laughs> so then everyone knows as much as we do in a way so it's just very complicated like the relationship with with places that have been formerly enslaved or have um it's like a slave culture or peoples who 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 didn't have rights and I I just think that people don't think about that of how much was taken away from us. So then when we try to create our spaces in a Jamaican way and a culture that we've really fought for, for like 500 years of slavery, 250 years of colonialism. And then, you know, we come to Britain in the Windrush generation during, you know, and then we, we create places like Brixton and then it becomes really gentrified. 
and then you're just like you know it's it's the loss is deeper than what people can imagine it's just much deeper because you're like again you're just just taking everything that we have and I think if you're Nigerian or Ghanaian or from the continent of Africa you don't have the same relationship with it as we do because you have such a rich history that's been sort of unbroken for thousands of years so yeah it's obviously as you can see it's something that I think about and um, you would do <laughs> and a you lot. would do I went to Brixton in November and it has changed so much in the two years that I've last been there I couldn't believe it it was it was not the Brixton I knew when I lived around there so I can see that that is a big loss definitely definitely it's a really big loss but mm. I think because of the way that we learn history um all the history that's missing from our schools for example I don't think that what I've just explained to you for example gets spoken about publicly because it's not something that people and you know know about and because there's so few of us who are black and from Caribbean backgrounds that are kind of given the space like you're giving me for example then then there just isn't that there just hasn't been these conversations and so I feel like we've still got everyone's still got a lot of learning to do um an understanding of of you know how challenging it is to kind of come from um communities such as Jamaicans like who have been really um marginalized and why it's such a a big thing for someone like me to kind of also move away from that and Mm. choose to move away from that and you know to then go to somewhere that has like one of the most oppressive histories um in the world ever you know I mean it's just it's just astounding to also be somewhere where so much atrocity has happened um and abject racism and the holocaust you know it's so it it, all of these things are really complicated but at the same time I don't know to to think about those things and to kind of have an awareness for me is the most important thing um and then to try and forge a new path is also important and can I ask Charmaine you mentioned the kind of racism in Germany's past that we, we all know about but what's it like living there now as a black woman it's really not an issue in the in the city um I think I'm because I'm British as well and I'm like in the same way that Britain has a really big problem with black people who were from the Windrush generation um and because it was like you were only supposed to come over for jobs um and then you know rebuild the railways work in the hospitals and then could you just go home like don't have sex and kids or you know try even think of a life if you could just do us a favor and then go back then that would be great and germany has that relationship with um Tur- the turkish population you know for me as someone who is black and educated and british etc it's like i don't feel that what i think is really interesting about racism here um, so I think it's about class and a Turkish population, but which I which I've always really found despicable. You know, my son has said to his teacher only this week, why aren't we learning about other cultures? Why do I need to learn about Romans and Vikings? I need to learn about everything else that's out there. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> Thank God the younger generation yeah, again. Generation <laughs> are absolutely incredible like Mm. I was just I'm so I'm so I'm so hopeful you know I think they live in a world without borders 
and I think they'll fight for the world to physically be without borders. Um, I think, you know, the way in which they holiday, they eat out, the questions that they're asking, you know, I didn't eat out as much as my son does. I mean, like basically most days of the week we go for dinner with people and it's like we never, I never lived like that. And I'm, you know, I'm only 39. It's not, you know, it's not crazy. A friend of mine was saying today that at her school, the kids are saying that they need to have um, gender neutral toilets on every floor. And you're just like, yes. Yes. (laughs) And and I was talking to someone saying, you know, it's really interesting that in Britain, they were really shocked that in Britain that the slave trade isn't taught, for example. And I was like, what? Did you you not realise that it's not taught, nor is empire? And then she said, well, what is taught? And I was like, well, the cheaters uh, <laughs> a lot. Then we won two wars and occasionally it's, it's joked that we won a, the World Cup once. And I was just like, listen, we two war wars and a World Cup, like that is literally British history and Henry VIII. And, and then I was thinking, you know, it's so interesting because if people don't even know what happened in like the war of the roses or they don't really know what happened in scotland or in ireland Mm -hmm. they don't actually know why ireland is split into two they don't know why wales like they don't have any like like we never learn anything about celtic or celtic history and the differences between all like all of the different countries so how on earth was anyone going to tell us about empire and i was like if they don't even know why, like, why Scotland, <laughs> they don't even know what happened in Scotland. You know, I mean, it, it, it's so interesting to me because I was like, it's not even that they don't know what happened in Empire. They don't even know how the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland was formed. Mm. So how are you going to know about how the Commonwealth was formed? Yeah. You know, and so I just have like these really big questions, but they're not always what people expect. So I'm like, no, no. We need to even understand how the country that we're from was formed in order to understand what we then did with why we believed as British people that we could do that to the rest of the world. You know, you need to talk to Irish people. You need to talk to Scottish people. And, you know, how many people ask you about why Ireland and like, why is there a separation between Ireland and Northern Ireland? Do people actually, do people? Very few. I remember when I first, I left home about 18 and um, there was definitely more questions then, which I welcomed that, you know, say when I moved to London, people did ask you about the political situation or how things are going there. And obviously in recent years, things have got quieter, thank God. But uh, the questions have stopped. The interest has stopped completely. Um, I, I noticed that, you know, in the last sort of five or maybe even decade in London but they nearly think it's sort of floated away now um <laughs> there's no you know, you don't hear the headlines so much as you used to but um I worry then that because the questions have stopped that that means that generations as you said Charmaine generations to come aren't learning about it like it hasn't been discussed in their homes in a long time and you know you have to it's a very selective history that people get taught in school and you have to accept the bad history as well as the good you know we're talking about history and the the past and rewriting history and I think your work with dialogue books is very much part of that process of getting other voices out there and other stories and I I wondered about the practicalities of um, are, are you sort of commuting to London or how do you how do you make that work or my plan is to go to London one week a month. So like one week in every four, 
from January, but now that's really not possible because of the restrictions um, are in for six months. So our office is sort of, it's not closed, it's open, but like you only should really go there if you really need to go there. Um, and so no one's really going, um, not many people are going, I should say. So I'm not going to go back until March, which is a really long time because it will be a year. I've been at the company for three years now. So a quarter of the time that I've been at the company, I won't have been in the office. And for many people that joined, then they will have never worked in the office of all of us. The thing about being a publisher is that... There's an immense amount of reading, immense amount of editing and a lot of thinking to do. And we have a lot, a lot, a lot of meetings. Um, And I just really, really love having the space away from everyone and everything and just kind of getting on with it. And I live in Charlottenburg and, you know, Charlottenburg is the home for sort of the greatest German publishers. I never dreamed that I would become a publisher. I never, ever thought it would happen. And so to be able to move back to Berlin with an imprint named after the bookshop that was founded here um, and to live in Charlottenburg and to to have this life as a publisher, drinking wine whilst talking to you guys, is <laughs> like, just sort of beyond any dream. And I take the lifestyle side of it very seriously for myself because the uh, activism side of it is so is is really complicated and really you know it's very it's not it's not like stressful but it's it's very there's a lot of weight to what I'm doing and it and it I wear it quite heavily at times and so I have to find these moments of joy and moments of kind of being happy and for me and my family that's sort of that's really being here so it's complicated it's not easy like the logistics of at some point like organizing my German contract and you know the logistics of um, moving money from Britain to Germany and working out Brexit and my legal status and all of that stuff it's like none of that it's not it's not easy but it's definitely worth it but and I can't believe that I get to come back with the job that I've worked so hard for over 20 years and that I get the space to really do it properly from a place that I love surrounded by people that I just love and respect really deeply who are my family so lovely (laughs) no but it is it's really really lovely and I you know I was reading some stuff about you about how you 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 were selling books under Waterloo Bridge and and you know trying to get a bookshop of your own in the UK which you never succeeded in doing but you were able to do that in Germany mm. um which is amazing but did it make you feel a bit sad that you weren't able to do that in your your home country you know that you had to leave to pursue your dream yeah I mean but at the same time I really recognized the privilege of the of the cultural capital that I had and that I was again like the first person in my family to not leave because of like the economics you know it's like everyone else had left somewhere if they'd left it's because they were forced to because they were choosing a kind of a better life whereas for me it was about wanting to live a cultural life wanting to live an intellectual life and a life of sort of conversation and 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 thought and I just I just don't really think that exists in the UK in the same way. And even being a publisher, I just, I think, I think living in an overly capitalist society sort of in the end stops the values. And I think that there's a lot of really great intentions, but, but in the end, we do live in a country where 
despite it all, you know, the Tories can have an overwhelming majority. I mean, just a, just a disproportionately shattering majority um, because other people wanted more. The reason that I couldn't have a bookshop in the UK is because of the people don't value literature in the way that they do here you know I often go to the literature house which is a beautiful building on Fazanian's which is like Pleasant Street and it's just the most beautiful place and it's just dedicated to books and there's a restaurant and an outdoor space and it's in a big villa and then there's like rooms that they have readings and there's a bookshop and you know we don't have anything like that in the UK you know and and I just feel as though if I had stayed, then I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd be who I am. The opportunity to be able to just do something because you believe that you can is sort of the greatest gift that you can give to yourself. And to not settle because I didn't, because someone said no, would never have been okay for me. Glad that I left. <laughs> I was like, well, how do I feel about that? I'm glad that I left. Oh, I think it's um it's it's so much easier to be creative and to follow those kind of artistic dreams in a place where there is affordable rent um there is that kind of cultural value um placed on literature and the arts and we, we've seen you know in recent months that people in the arts and in, in sort of UK and Ireland are really struggling you know that how are you going to become a, a poet say in, in London when the rents are sky high you do end up kind of having to settle for you know a more conventional career path you just don't have have that kind of freedom financially or artistically I think that maybe you have in places like Berlin exactly exactly and when the pandemic happened you know people artists here got a burst I mean a bursary they just got like five thousand euros in their account within 24 hours you know you had to sign up I had friends who were 427,000 in the queue and they still got the money in 24 hours um and today you know rishi sunak has said um the chancellor has said in britain that if you work in the arts you need to retrain um because to get a job elsewhere and you're like what as if as if they as if those jobs aren't skilled as if as if lighting managers and lighting technicians and stage designers and makeup artists are like not skilled jobs like to be a singer to be a musician like as if they're not skilled and I think when you live when you're from a culture that you realize is just sort of doesn't value this stuff despite the fact that you know the arts is is one of the biggest sort of incomes like our GDP is the way that it is because historically because of the arts because people come to Britain because of the arts and so it's you know it's just absolutely astounding to me and so to live somewhere where those things are valued where artists aren't worried Berlin has been always like for a long time been um, a beacon for that because it's just affordable and I I don't know how people do it in London but I think they're going to have to use a bit more imagination to understand that you know you are not your postcode you can't be defined by your postcode you can you can only be defined by your happiness I think moving to somewhere like London is in some ways very easy because it's everything's there like you can sort of walk into a job and things can happen for you and but I think to, to to do something from nothing where there isn't 
that stuff around is a much greater achievement. But I think for a lot of people, they just haven't got that yet. There will be people listening in places like London and Dublin and, and big cities thinking of moving. And I wondered what advice would you give someone considering moving country? I don't know if it's Brexit's going to make it more difficult for them in future or... Yeah, I mean, this is a transition year. So, you, you know, if you really want to move to somewhere in Europe um, without then, you know, without it being really complicated because we don't know what it's going to look like, then um, this is the year to do it. OK, um, that's really clear. But this is the year to do it, because I think once you get here this year, you've shown your intention to remain European and that they'll honour that. They'll find ways to honour that. And then after that, I think we'll have more of a sort of somewhere between america canada australia kind of where you have to prove yourself a bit more um so bear that in mind i think my advice to anyone that wants to move is to kind of not overthink it and remember that wherever you are you always take yourself with you and that you don't you know that to just not be afraid you know like not to be afraid like you can if you're a sociable person you can make friends if you like to be quiet then moving is really great because then you'll know less people than you did before. (laughs) You know, to be able to try out different foods, for example, Um, like in Berlin, we have really terrible Indian food and I don't know why, because I'm like, you're from the same place, but yeah, it's really terrible. And in, in London, it's amazing. But like the Turkish food here, like a kebab, is just like the best thing, you know, it's just so delicious. And it's something that I wouldn't really eat in England. So it's like, you're actually thinking about all of like the world from a different perspective when you're in a different place. And to learn a language, especially later in life, is like a great thing to do. It's really good for um, things like Alzheimer's. Um, You know, it's really good to kind of keep your brain just absolutely motivated and also to just challenge yourself. And I think to to learn to be to have an agility and to sort of, you know, to to move um, and to not be afraid of change is something that I think is very helpful as human beings um, and is something that everyone should try. Mm. So I'm looking forward to hearing where you're going to move to, Jane. Wow. There's so many places I have never been and I would love to live. Um, I have very fond memories of Germany. (laughs) I was telling Jeannie the last time I went there, though, the Berlin Wall was still up. (laughs) But I love the fact they have a female leader. So it's between between there and New Zealand at the moment. I'm going where the leadership is. (laughs) Female run. Um, Shereen, I wondered, because you have such an amazing story that like we could probably have a whole series about mm, you because you're so yeah. fascinating I just want to talk to you all day but um, I, I wondered would you because you've had you know, a, a difficult times in your life you were homeless in London you've moved around so many places you've carved out this incredible meaningful career and I just wondered would you ever publish your own memoir <laughs> no no I just it's just not something that no <laughs> I just don't do you know what anyone's ever asked me that before? I'm just like, no. <laughs> um, you know, my best friend always said to me when we were younger, he was just like, you need to keep a diary because like that was just a wild night or we just did this thing and it was really crazy. And I was just like, but when you're living in your life, you actually don't realise that it's exceptional or different. And you just think that because you're with other people, like I was, but now I realise that I was alone in that journey for a really long time and that even though I had lots of other people around me that I I very very rarely meet anyone that's had a um, experience like mine but I just can't imagine 
you know, being a writer is very lonely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very sociable. I really like being around lots of different people all the time. You have to really want to spend time by yourself for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. Um, just you and your thoughts. And if those thoughts are about all of this stuff, then I think, yeah, no, I prefer to be in other people's narratives. Oh, thank you so much. It has just been brilliant to speak to you. (laughs) Just fascinating. Like Jeannie said, I think we could just talk all day. And now I must go and visit Berlin. Now the wall's down. Now the Hasselhoff has been and brought the wall down single-handedly. I need to go and see Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned that important moment. (laughs) You heard it here first, guys. Yeah, (laughs) it was all David Hasselhoff's (laughs) doing. Singing. (laughs) Do they they still, still speak of him fondly, Charmaine? I love him. I think he, I remember he came for the 30th anniversary or the 25th anniversary of the fall of the wall. And I was just like, really? And they were just like, it's the half. And he, and I just was like, did he wear his piano tie? He didn't wear his piano tie, but he did just, I think it was, it was around the time that you remember he it was really weird because he'd like sort of had that breakdown and he was eating burgers and all of that stuff and then suddenly he was like on the wall and he was he was just like you know I really saved this country and I'm like he really not learned really what happened he's like I saved an entire country and I just want to say it's uh, you know you're welcome <laughs> oh my god I love it it was, it was actually <laughs> One of them. Oh, thank, thank you so much for reminding me of that because it's extraordinary. Wiping burger sauce off his lip as he, as he spoke. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. All of, that, all of that, all of that. You know, but then we didn't even know that we would sort of have Trump by then. So in some ways it's sort of not that surprising now. In some ways Hasselhoff seems like a real intellectual heavyweight. Um. Yeah, well, we were saying that about Arnold Schwarzenegger the other day. Like, you know, it's like he just seems like a real legit um, Republican um, um like what was he a um I was going to say governor MP. of California governor, yeah. governor of California yeah. like he seems really reputable now and that just doesn't seem like the strangest thing that's happening <laughs> well um I feel I should name drop now that I've interviewed uh, both the Hoff and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, in my existence <gasps> as a, a showbiz journalist so um you know both were equally impressive um, yeah <laughs> Oh my god! I bet they were really impressive. I mean, and they've got a lot to say and a lot. Well, of personality. I, I was pregnant when I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was pregnant, and um, I asked for a, a photo with him after, and he made me kneel down beside him, and like I was quite heavily pregnant. It's quite a strange experience, but what? he then um, he then wished me um, good luck with the baby, which I enjoyed. <laughs> That's so brilliant. I love it. I love <laughs> well, it. thank you so much for giving us your precious time. And uh, it's been brilliant. Loved it. Thanks so much to Charmaine for joining us on the show. And we really, really hope that she enjoys the rest of her time in Berlin. Now, this week's City Quitting Dilemma is one of a more practical nature. It's from Jamie, and he's a little bit overwhelmed about where he starts with the whole moving process. Let's hear what he has to say. Please leave your message after the tone. Hi, Jinan. Hi, Jane. I've sold my flat, ready to move to my new house in a more rural location, but I'm overwhelmed by all the practicalities, especially the packing Um, I've been in this flat for 15 years, so there's a lot to do. Any tips on where to start with it all? Thanks, Jamie. That's a really interesting question. Uh, We haven't really touched on the practicalities, have we, Jeannie, of moving on this show? But obviously, it's a major part of the whole process and probably why I'll never move again. (laughs) (laughs) 
How was your move to Derry? Um, it, it, it worked out great in the end, but I suppose maybe we should go through the don'ts first yeah. because um, there's plenty of pitfalls that I've made that maybe um, Jamie could avoid. Um, I was trying to count up how many house moves and flat moves I've done in my time. I think it's about 12 or 13. Mm. Um, and yeah, some of the don'ts would be don't move on the same day that you start a new job. Uh, <laughs> take that from me. Uh, don't try moving all of your possessions in a shopping trolley. That was another you one. You did that one. Okay, interesting. I did yeah. that one in my, my um, student years. Um, <laughs> and don't move country on Boxing Day. So those are my main don'ts. What about you, Jane? Have you made any mistakes in the past? Um, yeah, I think so. I think our most recent move, which hilariously is eight doors down the road. So we didn't move any distance, not like your long distance one, but you've still got to hire a van. You've still got to go through the same process. And I just assumed we'd move in in the afternoon. I could get the majority of unpacking done, basics, and then go to work the next day. And like you, no, it didn't happen. We didn't complete, you know, an exchange and all that until like six o'clock in the evening. And then it took the rest of the evening just to get everything in. And then I had to take the next day off work because it was just a mess. <laughs> it was a mess everywhere. So, yeah, I'd say be a little bit more prepared, perhaps take more than one day off to move especially if you are moving across country as well you know Sally what about the packing where did you start with that because that really phased me the whole packing thing so I think you can see it as an opportunity to declutter and you know kind of get rid of all those things you've been hoarding and be be brutal like if you haven't worn something or used it in the last 12 months donate it to the charity shop because you're, you're probably going to just bring it from move to move with you like I, I probably still have a box of stuff that's come every time I've moved and never been unpacked so yeah (laughs) it is a chance to kind of you know declutter your life um and did you find when you were decluttering I found that um I just get waylaid by like finding old photos and old letters remember when we used to write letters to each other folks um you know (laughs) finding all these old memories and then an hour would have gone by and I'd be like oh my god I haven't been packing (laughs) completely I remember yeah when we were leaving London I have we kind of memory boxes for the kids of you know baby clothes and cards and all the rest and yeah I just got completely waylaid by that but another thing is to um to shop around if you're getting huge quotes from removals companies they can be really expensive and run into the thousands we ended up using a lovely man with a van well a very large van more of a (laughs) sort of truck lorry but um yeah we we used a, a random man with a van instead um and he was brilliant. Like we don't have any fine art or, you know, very valuable breakable items that we were worried about sort of protecting. So, yeah, let me know if you need Tomas's details, Jamie, and I'll send them <laughs> over to you. Great. Oh, I, and another one, Jane, yeah. sorry, um, would be to pack a bag of essentials that you can access easily, um, like pajamas, spare underwear, toothbrush, a kettle, even a plate, because you don't you don't want to be searching around. 50 boxes for your tea bags or for your yeah, clean socks when you just have taken that advice because I didn't do that <laughs> I think how I did it because obviously you know I was still working like many people are when they're moving and it's finding the time is I broke it down into smaller tasks I think if you just think I am moving that is so overwhelming so it would be like clear out the wardrobe today you know or pack up the cupboard or actually the loft was the scariest thing like you say there's all that stuff in the loft that you've never used blow up canoe anyone you know (laughs) 
discovering all that stuff but it is really overwhelming but I think if you break things down into small chunks it's a lot easier and I think for you Jamie the lucky thing is you're upsizing you're not doing a big house moving down to a flat because that would be a nightmare so hopefully you'll have lots of room for all your stuff when you move in and it won't be too traumatic and label every box as well that's something definitely yeah I'm really glad we did that because uh, that is a real nightmare isn't it at least if that box is in the kitchen you know it's kitchen stuff and you're not going to find a load of pants when you expected to find your kettle so (laughs) and if you're feeling flush which not many people are at the minute you can also pay someone to pack your stuff for you and you just leave them to it and come back and everything's done um that's what I'll do next time although I've I've said to my husband I'm never moving it traumatized me so much that you know obviously Jamie it's fine you'll be fine (laughs) was it the using your pants as a kettle yeah yeah it's put me off tea for life Well, thank you, Jamie, for your um, your city quitting dilemma. And thank you all for joining us on All Change, please. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. We've got another great guest lined up for you in our next episode, and we'll be back in a fortnight's time. Uh, you can also have a listen to our previous episodes. There's some really brilliant ones on there about everything from burnout to being priced out to finding your forever home and being LGBTQ plus in the countryside. Oh, we've really covered it all, haven't we? Um, in the meantime, please review, subscribe and share this podcast if you've enjoyed it. It really helps us out. And we would love to hear from you if you've got a city quitting dilemma. You'll find us on Twitter at All Change Pod, or you can just email in your dilemma at allchangepodcast at gmail. Dot com.